Nehemiah and then Lamentations coming after that. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 24 and 25, a message I've entitled New Year's Resolution. New Year's Resolution, we are almost to the new year, so let's talk about New Year's Resolution. Lamentations 3, beginning in verse 24, please stand together with me out of honor to God and His Word as I read. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in Him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him to the soul that seeketh him. Thank you. You may be seated. So we're looking at New Year's uh, resolution today, but it was a week after Christmas and people were back to work. Two guys at the office were talking about Christmas and one asked the other, what did you get your wife for Christmas? The other responded, I got her a belt and a bag. Well, the first man replied, oh, I bet she appreciated that. The other replied, I hope so, because now the vacuum cleaner will work better. Wow. Okay. What about this? Maybe you had a prayer like this. Dear God, my prayer for 2024 is a fat bank account and a thin body. Please don't mix it up like you did last year. (laughs) And how about New Year's Eve through the years? Through the years. As you get older, things change. So New Year's Eve as a child, you're allowed to stay up late. On New Year's Eve as a young adult, you want to stay up late. On New Year's Eve as middle-aged, you're forced to stay up late. But when you get to old age like I am, you don't stay up late. Okay. So anyway, I don't know what your plans are for tonight, but let's look at your plans for the coming year, New Year's resolution. First of all, resolved, God is our portion. If you notice from the verse here, it says, The Lord is my portion. And so let's resolve, God is our portion. Now, the word portion means allotment, share, or inheritance. And actually, this word portion, it kind of recalls the Israelite tribal land distribution. When the children of Israel went into the promised land, it was divided up by tribe. And this one got this piece of land, that one got that piece of land, and so on. Now, if you remember that whole story, the tribe of Levi, they didn't get land because God said, I will be your portion. Everybody else got land, but Levi didn't because God said, I am your portion. Now, the other tribes were invited to worship, and they were included in the people of God. But Levi got the best portion. Why? Because land is temporary. The Lord is eternal. And there's nothing more important than having a personal relationship with God. There is nothing more important in all of the universe than having a personal relationship with God. The Bible talks about that over and over, that God is our portion, that relationship with God. Like, for instance, in Psalm 73 and verse 26, it says, My flesh and my heart fails, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Or how about Psalm 119 and verse 57? Thou art my portion, O Lord, I have said that I would keep thy words. The sad part about it is we tend to give priority to other things way less important. Again, the most important thing in all the universe is a relationship with God. But we tend to look at other things as more important, like our finances or our families or our friends or our employment. And I'm not saying these things aren't important. They are certainly important, but they shouldn't be more important than a relationship with God. Knowing God in a personal way is life's most valuable resource. Knowing God, not just knowing facts about God, not just knowing a few Bible verses, but knowing God in a personal way is life's most valuable resource. Not only in this life, but certainly in the life to come. And so leaving our children and grandchildren the inheritance of a personal relationship with God is vital. 
to leave a the personal relationship with God to our children, to our grandchildren. We're always concerned about our legacies. Well, leaving our children and grandchildren this inheritance of a personal relationship with God is vital. Now, sadly, we can't give them that relationship. That's between them and God. We can't give them that relationship. But we can give them the resources and the opportunities necessary to cultivate that relationship with God. Like what do I mean? Like sharing our faith with them when we have opportunities. Like making sure they and we are in worship. Like making sure they and we are in Sunday school. Making sure they are in Awana and Upward and Vacation Bible School. And most importantly, setting a godly example before them. Giving them all the resources and opportunities they need to cultivate that relationship with God. Again, we can't give them that relationship, but we can get everything ready for them to have that relationship. And so I wonder this morning, will you resolve in the new year to expose yourself and your family to as many godly resources and opportunities as is practical? Now, having said that, I understand this church does a lot of things. We have a lot of activities, a lot of programs, and then we go outside the church and there's a lot of activities, a lot of programs. It is not possible for somebody to do every single thing that is offered. That's why I said, will you resolve in the new year to expose yourself and your family to as many godly resources and opportunities as is practical? So resolve that God is your portion. But secondly, resolved God is our hope. God is our hope. Again, back to our text, verse 24. The Lord is my portion, therefore will I hope in him. God is our hope. Now, biblical hope is confident expectation. It is not simply wishing with no idea of the outcome. You know, we say that a lot. Well, I hope it doesn't rain today, or I hope this check comes in the mail, or whatever. We don't know whether it's going to or not. That is not biblical hope. Biblical hope is confident expectation. Biblical hope is based on the person and promises of God. And there is no one or nothing more reliable into which we can place our hope than God. There is no one or no thing more reliable into which we can place our hope. Why do I say that? Because number one, God can't lie. Look here at Titus 1-2. In hope of eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. God can't lie. We all know God can't fail. And also... God does not change. Look at Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. And so there is nothing and there is no one more reliable into which we can place our hope than God. He can't lie. He can't fail. He doesn't change. Now, Jesus is God, so Jesus is our hope. Jesus is God, so Jesus is our hope. We hope in Him. We hope in Him. We hope in him, him, His person. He is the Messiah. He is God in the flesh. We hope in His person. We hope in His words that are preserved for us in the Bible. We hope in His promises. We hope in His teachings. And again, this isn't just wondering whether it's going to happen or not. We have confident expectation. We have hope that He is this person. He did speak these words. He did make these promises. He did teach these teachings. They can be relied on absolutely. We not only hope in his person, his words, his promises, his teaching, we hope in his salvation. We hope in his salvation. We are saved the moment we receive Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. At that moment, not later on sometime, the moment you invite Jesus Christ into your heart, you believe that he died on the cross to pay for your sins, that he was buried for your sins, and the third day he rose again from the dead. At that very moment, you become saved, and it's forever. But not only are we saved in a moment, the moment we receive Christ, but we will be saved 
in the future, meaning we'll be saved either when we pass away or when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, whichever comes first. We are saved now, but we will be saved in the future. We hope in his person. We hope in his words. We hope in his promises. We hope in his teachings. We hope in his salvation. We hope in his return. We hope in his return. As I mentioned already with the Lord's Supper, Jesus is coming back. And we hope in that. And again, our hope is not like, well, I don't know if he's coming or not. We know he's coming. We just don't know exactly when. But we hope in his return. Jude talks about that in Jude 1.14 where he says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of saints. He's talking about the return of Jesus Christ. He's coming. And Jude's not the only one to mention that. Jesus' return is referenced repeatedly throughout the New Testament. Jesus told of it. Paul told of it. Peter told of it. John told of it. Obviously, Jude here told of it. But I want you to notice that Jesus does not return alone. It'd be fine if he did. If Jesus just came back by himself, that'd be fine with me. But that's not what it says. He says he's coming back with ten thousands of his saints. He doesn't return alone. Ten thousands of his saints will accompany him. Now, how many is that? Well, it's an innumerable multitude. Something you may or may not know about the Greek language, but the largest specific number available in the Greek language at the time was 10,000. So when you wanted to use the biggest number possible in Greek, all you could use was 10,000. That's probably why folks in Congress, you know, don't use Greek because they're up in the trillions and billions and trillions and zillions and all of that. But in Greek, all you could say is 10,000. That's the biggest specific number. And so notice what Jude does there in Jude 1.14. He says 10,000s. He takes 10,000, which is the biggest number possible, and he makes it plural. It's 10,000s and 10,000s. There's a whole bunch of people coming back with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, John further describes Jesus' return in Revelation chapter 19. I've been talking about this all month long, and so I just want to read it to you. But you can turn there if you want to, Revelation chapter 19, and I'll be reading verses 11 through 15. It says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns, and he has a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vestiture and his thighs a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Wow. And so John further describes, he puts some details into this 10,000s that are coming back with the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice from that passage I read, Jesus is known not as Jesus, but as faithful and true. And in verse 13, he's known as the word of God. And in verse 16, he's known as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Not only that, verse 12 says he has eyes flaming with fire. And he's wearing many crowns, not one crown, many crowns. Why would you wear many crowns? Most kings just wear one crown because he's King of kings. King of kings, he's got lots of crowns. He's wearing a name that only he knows, verse 12. And verse 13 says he's wearing blood-stained clothes. And verse 14 says he is followed by an army of white horses. Now, not only are the horses white, but the army, the soldiers themselves, are all wearing white. Now, why in the world would you send your soldiers into battle wearing all white? You say, well, Brother Gary, you're misunderstanding. This is symbolic. It, it shows their purity. Okay, all right. But there's something else, though. 
they're not going to be getting dirty in battle. Because the Lord Jesus Christ fights this battle with the word of his mouth. By the way, what John describes here, these armies of heaven on white horses, these are the same as Jude's ten thousands of saints that we looked at from verse 14. So we hope in all of these things. So let me ask you a question again. Will you, res- will you resolve in the new year to renew your hope in God? Not only renew that, yes, God is my portion, but renew your hope in God. Hope, confident expectation, believing everything God says. It's not just pie in the sky. It's confident expectation. So resolve, God is our portion. Resolve, God is our hope. Thirdly, resolved. God is our focus. Again, back to our text. It says in verse 25, The Lord is good unto them that wait for Him to the soul that seeks Him. So when you seek somebody or seek something, that's your focus. That's your target. That's your goal. Well, resolve, God is our focus in the new year. God demands and deserves to be our primary focus. But how do we make God our primary focus? How do we do that? First of all, it takes an attitude adjustment. We need to start focusing on Him instead of everything else. And so adjust your attitude in the new year to focus on God. Second, we focus on God through worship. Worship attendance, you're already starting off real good. You're here at church, right? But we need to make sure we are faithful to attend church. And then not only just attend, but to participate in worship. You say, well, I'm here. Well, when you're sitting, you're not participating, all right? So there's a time to sing, there's a time to pray, there's a time to give and so on. You need to participate. Don't just sit there. Participate. Get active in worship. And as part of that sacrifice. You know, part of our worship is the offering. And when you give, if you give, do you feel your giving? Do you feel it when you give? What I mean by that is not do you feel this envelope or this money or whatever coming out of your hand, but I mean do you feel it in your budget? Are you really making a sacrifice? Or are you just giving from God's abundance? Or are you just barely giving? Do you feel it? It's supposed to be a sacrifice. And let me be real blunt here. If you are giving cash in the offering plate, you're probably not sacrificing. You're probably not sacrificing if you're giving cash. So how do we make sure God is our primary focus? Well, attendance, uh, uh, first of all, an attitude adjustment, then worship attendance, worship participation, worship sacrifice. Beyond that, daily Bible reading. Are you reading your Bible every day? If you're not, say, you know what, in the new year, I'm reading my Bible every day. Are you praying every day, at least once a day, hopefully multiple times of the day? Are you serving God? Will you serve God in the new year? Find a place of service right here at church. Part of my job is to give you a job to do. How God is calling you to use the the gifts and talents he has given you is so you don't know how to serve, come see me and we'll work together. We'll figure out where you can serve, how you can serve in this church. But I want you to find a place of service not only at church, but find a place of service outside of church. This isn't the only place where God is working, okay? God's working everywhere. And always serve. By being a witness for Christ, both in your words and your action, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter what time of the day or night it is, always serve by being a witness for Christ. So how do we make God our primary focus? An attitude adjustment, worship, daily Bible reading, daily prayer, serving. What about repentance? 
Oh, Brother Gary, I did that years ago. I repented and received Christ as my Savior. Good. Are you perfect now? I'm not. Are you perfect? We all need to go through times of repentance. We all let stuff slip in. Take inventory of your actions. Take inventory of your attitudes. And turn away from any sinful actions. Turn away from any sinful attitudes. Whether it be lust or greed or pride or lying or theft. How about this one? Unwholesome speech. You're not using the words that you should be using. Paul talks about that in Ephesians 4.29. He says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that may minister grace unto the hearers. Just as people corrupted God's creation with sin, people have corrupted God's good gift of words. Paul says, don't let any corrupt communication. That word corrupt literally in the Greek means rotten. Don't let rotten communication come out of your mouth. This is any abusive, impure, profane, obscene, or unwholesome words. They should never be coming out of our mouths as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, including using God's name as a curse word. That is sinful. One of the Ten Commandments, don't take my name in vain, okay? But when we get upset and we say, God, or we say, oh my God, or, I don't even understand this one, you hit your finger or something, you go, Jesus Christ. These are taking God's name in vain. There is no business of any of those words coming out of our mouths in any way. You might say, oh, Brother Gary, you just said all those words. Yes, I did as an example. Filthy mouths dishonor the God who made them. Filthy mouths dishonor the person who owns them. And filthy mouths are inconsistent with Christianity. Look what James says here in James 3, beginning in verse 9. Talking about our mouths. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing my brethren. These things ought not so to be. But our words do something else. They offer an x-ray of our hearts. When you listen to the words that are coming out, you can kind of see the heart from which they are coming. Jesus talks about that in Luke 6.45. He says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart, heart brings forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of his heart the mouth speaks. If the heart is rotten, the words will be rotten. New words come from a new heart. If there are no new words, there's no new heart. And by the way, it's not just what comes out of our mouths, but also what comes uh, out of our fingers through text and Facebook posts and Snapchats and Instagrams and emails. Mom, I'll explain all that to you later. But it's not just what comes out of our mouths. It's what comes out of our fingers. And not only that, the fingers have their own unspoken curse words that Christians aren't to use either. And a lot of Christians like to use these unspoken curse words with their hands when they're driving. It might be kind of comical. You think about how oh, that's funny. It's not funny. It brings dishonor to Almighty God. And so whether it's actually coming out of your mouth or it's coming out of your fingers or it's coming through your hands, it's no business that filthiness should be coming from any of those places. So I want to ask you, thirdly, will you resolve in the new year to maintain your focus on God? Don't focus on the earthly, the temporary. Focus on an eternal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. There's nothing more important in all the universe. Not just in your life. In all the universe, there is nothing more important than a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. 
So will you resolve in the new year to maintain your focus on God? You know, we're coming through the Christmas season, and Christmas seems so unfair to me. We all know that Christmas is Jesus' birthday, but we get all the presents. Now, you know, it's not supposed to work that way. When it's your birthday, you get presents, right? And when it's my birthday, I get presents. Well, now it's, it's Jesus' birthday, and we get all the presents. That doesn't seem fair. As a believer, why not give Jesus a new year of commitment? Acknowledging him as your portion, maintaining him as your hope, seeking him as your focus. And so if you are a believer here today, why not give Jesus the best gift you can, which is a new year of commitment? But if you're an unbeliever, you've not yet received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you weren't able to partake of the Lord's Supper because you heeded the biblical warning that I shared with you. Why not start 2024 as not only a new year, but as a new creation? Look what the Bible says here in 2 Corinthians 5:17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Think about it. Starting a new year as a new creation with a new focus and a new future. In the new future, I'm not talking about 2024. I'm talking about heaven for eternity. Wouldn't that be great for you to start 2024, a new year as a new creation with a new focus on God with a new eternal future? Well, I want to wish each and every one of you a happy new year. I hope you just have a wonderful, wonderful 2024. And one of the ways, as a Christian, that you can ensure that 2024 is going to be glorifying to God is that you resolve, you resolve that God is your portion. Also, you resolve that God is your hope. And thirdly, you resolve that God will be your focus. Now, if God is your portion and God is your hope and God is your focus throughout 2024, you are going to have a year that brings honor and glory to God. Now, I'm not saying nothing bad will ever happen to you. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is God will be honored and glorified if you keep God as your portion, your hope, and your focus. Again, if you're an unbeliever here, the invitation is clear. Receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior right here and right now in front of all these people. Yeah. Yeah. Invite Jesus Christ to come into your heart. Believe that he died on the cross to pay for your sins, that he was buried for your sins, and he rose again the third day. And you will start the new year as a new creation with a new focus and a new future. You will spend forever in heaven with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is our hope is for real. Our hope is confident expectation. We know everything you are, everything you say, it's all absolutely true. And we trust in you. We've trusted in you through 2023. And now we're going to trust in you in 2024. If there are unbelievers here who are watching online, give them grace and faith to receive Christ as their Savior right now. That they may be, have a new year as a new creation with a new focus and a new future. And for those of us who are believers, may we commit, may we resolve that you are our portion, you are our hope, and that you will be our focus, not only for 2024, but for the rest of our lives and eternity. 
Bless this time of invitation. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll be here at the front to receive you if God is